Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your host, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we are excited to be joined by special guest BeastieQT, who is a professional StarCraft II player for many years before transitioning to streaming and YouTube. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. As always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Brett. Brett, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, doing amazing. Thank you. Awesome. And as we said in the intro, we are joined by special guest, Beastie QT. Beastie, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing well. Um, well, Beastie, already we know that you're a really patient person. We've had some ridiculous technical issues trying to get this <laughs> recording started. So thank you again for your patience there with us. Um, I just kind of wanted to, to, to actually jump in a little bit to your past, uh, looking just online, trying to get some information on you before we were recording. And um, I understand you grew up in, in Serbia and started your gaming career there. Is that true? Uh, yeah. So was born here, grew up here. And um, my gaming started like very young. I started playing games when I was three. Uh, my dad was really into computers and uh, well, we always had a computer. So kind of got me into the games the first games i actually played it was like strategy games back in the day and uh just kind of you know went from there slowly playing games enjoying them and kind of figuring out what i like and uh what genres i like right so what i mean i really don't have much knowledge about serbia what is the gaming scene like there is it comparable to what you found when you moved to the u.s or what what is it like uh there's a lot of players but uh there's not a lot of Good players, I would say, mm. like on a competitive level. We had some people, like players from Serbia, that were like very competitive at a super high level in, in other games. For StarCraft 2, it wasn't really that competitive. I think in like 11 years of StarCraft on land tournaments, I lost two maps. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So every time, like back in the day, especially in Wings of Liberty, it was super popular and we would have like hundreds of signups for a tournament. And then, uh, because these were, you know, back in the day, there were tournaments all the time. Like every week, there's mm-hmm. a tournament here, a tournament there. And every time I would sign out, the tournament organizers would tell me, like, half the players dropped out. Oh. <laughs> because they didn't want to go. Because it's like, well, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to travel, you know, just to, you know. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. Like, people want me to unsign. And they're like, no, it's fine. We have too many anyway. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, but, you know, th- there are some good players uh, in, in other games uh, at competitive level, but I'd say there's quite a few gamers in general. Uh, back in the day when net cafes were, like, huge, uh, they were everywhere, and they were completely packed. But mm. people usually play, or at least played before. Now I'm not really sure. But people usually play, like, CSGO and, and you know, MOBA games. Dota was always uh, big in Serbia, and then League of Legends once it came out, but Starcraft kind of over the years, um, I guess there was not enough local support as in like organized tournaments. There was mm. more like weekly, like, oh, you know, here's a tournament, single elimination, whoever wins, grants. But there was never like an organized season or league kind of thing. So, you know, players can prepare practice and so on. So it kind of diminished over the years. Right. So, I mean, did, were you were you playing on 
online still like in the ladder or did you just think that you were like the god of starcraft since you lost twice <laughs> ever in these tournaments i mean we, we did have quite a few uh grandmasters actually in wings i think we had like 10 or 11 people in gm which was quite okay. high and uh the funny thing is all of them were terran so we were all terran so when we go to a tournament top 16 is all terrans and my best match i've also to make it worse was tvt so i was like i'm fine with this you know <laughs> and then every once in a while there would be like a master protoss or master zerg and it's like oh there's zergs and protoss this year um there are other races in this there game. There are other races, <laughs> yeah, especially in Wings of Liberty, because everyone started with Terran, so right. everyone just continued playing it. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess I became known on, on online on the ladder, and then when you know, StarCraft kind of became bigger and bigger, people saw them from Serbia, the local tournament started, so um, it kind of went from there. Because if you have one player that's competing in, you know, at international level, no matter what game you play, everyone that plays that game will know who that person is. They mm. won't necessarily, you know, be famous, but you know, they'll they'll know who he is because it's like, oh, that guy, you know, beat that guy in a tournament, then he's from Serbia. Because people here have that uh, you know, pride where, you know, they want to cheer from someone that's that's from their own country. So no one except so, Koreans get to do that in StarCraft, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Brett. Sorry. No, no, no. You so you, you had mentioned that um, Counter Strike, like CS:GO and Dota, were pretty popular in your area, and I understand that you have uh, some talent in those games. So, did were you playing those kind of at the same time, or did you start with them, or, or have any? Uh, did you ever want to play professionally in either of those? So. In, I mean, in elementary school, I played like uh, Counter-Strike. That was 1.3, I think, back in the day, or 1.5, I'm not sure. I played a lot. I competed at like local level. I wasn't, you know, world class or something like that. Uh, it was pretty bad, right, in terms <laughs> of looking at the grand scale of things. Um, but I played a lot of Counter-Strike. I just love playing games that are competitive. Like, I never really enjoyed single-player stuff. I didn't see a point beating an AI. So I always liked beating someone else. Um, then I think it started with me, you know, playing versus my dad when I was younger or my cousins. And I always, you know, they would be like, oh, let's play together. I'm like, let's play against one another. That's, <laughs> that's more fun. So, um, yeah, started with Counter-Strike. If you look at it like online slash competitive, mm -hmm. then it turned into, well, actually, uh, before StarCraft 2 came out, I saw the announcement and in order to kind of, uh, quote unquote, prepare for it, I ended up playing, um, starcraft one just so i can kind of get used to it because i played starcraft one when i was a kid with my cousin but i never played online so i decided to do that and i started playing like maybe five months before starcraft 2 came out and i managed to get to i think it was like b plus on ic cup back in the day and i always like i played a lot because initially this was supposed to be like okay let's try it out kind of thing but i ended up playing like eight to nine hours a day as I wanted to, you know, get higher and higher rank. And once Circuit 2 came out, I just kind of dropped it, you know. But right. I also played a lot of Dota 1 uh, back when it was in, you know, TFT. Uh, played it a lot locally again, you know, after school with friends online, whatever it is. But again, never reached, you know, any high ranks. It kind of started with StarCraft 2. And I think that's where kind of my competitiveness and I guess just skill as, as a gamer was kind of at, the, at its started being at its peak 
So then I started picking up other games uh, while I was doing StarCraft. I did um, basically any game that came out since 2010, I tried it in, in competitive kind of mode to try to get as a high rated as possible. I played Heroes of the Storm. I was top 15 GM in Europe. I played League. I was one game. That still haunts me to this day. I was one uh, promotion game to get the Challenger in League back when League was top 50. Uh, and then I lost the game, and then I had—I I still remember it. This was like, this was season three league, so this was years and years ago. And uh, I lose a game, I don't get promoted, and then I'm like, okay, I lost. That's you know, that's bad. Let's just requeue. So I requeue, and the guy rage quits after he dies, and I just quit league right there. I was like, mm. I can never play this game in team kind of setup because I cannot right. deal with this. So I just, I just completely quit it. Um, but other than that, they play like Hearthstone. I got, you know, a legend ranking that multiple times. And this was all while I was playing StarCraft, because that's kind of all I was doing. I was just playing games all day. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, more kind of leaning towards MOBA slash strategy games mostly, because um, that's, you know, what I was interested in. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit on this in your answer there, but... The thing that, that to me, I mean, I think that StarCraft, and I've talked about this before, but I think that StarCraft and MOBAs have more in common than than it might seem on the surface because there's such a variety of outcomes that can happen. There's so much to really learn. I mean, in MOBAs, you've got to learn all the different heroes and gear possibilities and how that all shakes out and then what you're seeing you know, in the given match. It, similar to how StarCraft has such a wide variety of, of information to be aware of, obviously they play very differently but um do you do you think that the to me it's always been surprising frankly how popular the team games are for for people to play competitively because of exactly the experience you just described where you might be ready to go but now your teammate bails on you whereas in starcraft if you put in the time and you have the victory it's yours right exactly and now stir the losses too but that makes it your responsibility not someone else's what are what are your thoughts on that yeah, I mean, that's the reason why... There was a point, actually, where I quit StarCraft in Heart of the Swarm for about six to eight months, and mm. that was a time when I played League. Um, and when that thing happened, I, I was just like, I can't do this. I don't have the mindset for this. Same thing with Hearthstone, because, uh, you know, friends kept asking me, like, oh, you know, you quit StarCraft, are you going to go Hearthstone? Are you going to do League? And I realized the same thing for Hearthstone. I don't like not having that control over the game i mean hearthstone mm-hmm. there is skill there's a lot of you know calculations of the, the odds and percentages and stuff but at the end of the day it is luck right it's luck based it's rng based and that's why i didn't want to play hearthstone competitively even though i was high rated i was like if i play for a year and i go to a tournament and i lose because the other guy just drew cards better i i cannot deal with that mentally because in order to do that you need to be like a very calm just be like okay you know that's how it is and kind of move on. But I had an option in StarCraft, which is like, it's kind of your fault when you lose. And this is the same thing for team games. I, you know, not to say I never made mistakes, but if I'm in a, because I was thinking about this back in the day, if I was in an important tournament and one of my teammates that I've been playing for a while, you know, literally lost the game for us, I'd feel like I did everything I could and I still lost. So... Mm-hmm. Where in, you know, single, well, not single, but solo games, when you lose, like, yeah, you can say you had a bad day, but at the end of the day, you can work on it and you can improve. 
while in team games, sometimes it's just out of your reach on what you can do and if you can affect the income of, of the game. So yeah, I don't do you way. think do you think that maybe some of the popularity may come from the ease in being able oh, to not say like, hey, it's it's not my fault. Somebody else messed up. So I don't have anything to work on. Oh, of course, that, that yeah. is the sole reason why MOBAs exist. It's I mean, it's the, <laughs> it's the biggest noob bait, right? I mean, I lost this game. I was zero ten, but it's because my ally sucks. Next game, I'm going to do well. Then they, yeah, do well they were the feeding then you exactly know. then they do well in the next game it's like well there you go that's my formation i'm a good player then they feed four next games well it's obviously my allies it's not me because i you know the one game they, right? they weren't there to I back me good. up when i called that i was getting games exactly. two seconds and i said we should do this and we didn't do it so it's their fault and it's never my fault and this exists through shooters this exists through mobas any team game and oh. I mean, one of the hardest things, not only in gaming, but as a human, to just admit you messed up, right? Mm -hmm. To just say it was my fault and how do I fix it? So in gaming, in team games, it's a very easy escape. Uh, and it it's how people get addicted to team games. Why would you play a game where you're losing one-on-one -on -one and it's only you to blame? I mean, you can always go to race balance, but you know, there's players doing well with your race at a higher level. So it's not that. Right. Um, so people kind of always tend to, you know, blame allies. And, and this is no matter what league you are. If you're bronze in league, if you're master challenger, you can always use that excuse. It always works. So right. um, that's kind of why people play it, because they kind of feed themselves this fake, you know, fake information. Like, it wasn't my fault. I'll just queue up again, and I hope I get better allies. So it works. I mean, that's why MOBAs are popular, so... Yeah. I mean, I think even if someone is earnestly trying to to assess themselves, though, it's also more difficult because you can't just assess your own play in a, in a team game, right? Like you have to kind of be aware of what everyone should be doing. And then even that's going to be somewhat subjective. So I, I think even if even if you were really trying to accept responsibility, it's just more murky on what that responsibility is, whereas in StarCraft, to you know, to your point, and that's not just true in video games, right? I mean, in in basketball, it's always it's always the, the teammate that missed the last shot or the guy yeah. who dribbled out of bounds. Yeah, it doesn't matter the first you know thirty minutes of it; it's the yeah. last guy that messed up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But in golf or tennis, there's none of that, right? Because it's an individual sport. Um, well, so something I'm curious about, you know, you talked about you started playing StarCraft in 2010, right before Wings of Liberty comes out, and and then in 2012 though from my understanding you're you're moving to california to live in a team house and really take a dive at this professional starcraft but what are you like 20 21 years old or something at that time like yeah. what mean, was that transition like like that seems was, crazy yeah i was i mean i was super i wasn't shy i was just an awkward kid like i mean i'm a kid it's you know it's a gamer kid right so uh my english was like you know, typical like Slavic accent. I did not speak English very well, and I I never even lived alone. You know, so I never lived in another country for even a week. I went on like vacations, but I was like with family, with someone, right? So one day uh, I just told my parents I'm going to U.S. and they're like, "No, you're not." I'm like, "I'm going to U.S." and they're like, "What are you gonna do there? How are you gonna go? Where are you gonna be?" So I tell them and they're like, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll talk about this. I'm like, I'm going, like, I've just decided. And it ended up, you know, being exactly that. I went to get visa. Um, I got visa for, for us, which there's a funny story in there. So 
uh, US and UK are one of the like two of the hardest countries to get a visa for. So, you know, I'm reading online, you know, to do, to not do kind of when you apply for visa. I go there and I'm nervous because if the visa, you know, gets declined, I can't go, right? So I go there and uh, there's two interviews. One is in Serbian, one is in English. So I give them all the information. I bring like all the papers in the world, you know, extra, just as much as info so that it doesn't seem like I'm, I'm planning to stay there or something. I don't know. So the first guy, he's interviewing me and he's like, oh, you're, you know, why are you going? So I'm telling him like, oh, I'm playing video games for, for a living and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, really? Like I, I follow fighting games. And this is oh, like a cool. guy that's super serious, you know. It's like, oh, you know, right. so kind of the barrier breaks. Like, oh yeah, I watch fighting games. What game do you play? He's like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. Okay, sit down. There's gonna be an English interview, right? I'm like, all right, great. I'm like, oh, this went great. So <laughs> English interview. Uh, you know, the woman calls me in and she's like, hi, you know, why do you want to go? Yada yada. So I start telling her, and she's like, you play games for a living. And I'm like, oh God. And so the starts hitting me. And I'm like, oh, she's not going to believe anything. The pendulum swings. She, she is now by. So as I'm trying to explain, I start getting nervous. So I start to sound like I'm lying. And I realize the more I talk, the more she's just completely just like, oh no. She's just looking at me like, and I'm like, how are they? and she's like, so how did they find you? And I'm like, how do I explain ladder to her? You know, start <laughs> I'm like, well, I played online. And she's like, where online? And I'm like, how am I supposed to explain that? You know, it's in the game. I don't know what the game is, right? So she's just Please looking Google at me. This. And I'm like, oh, God, that's it. Like, the visa's gone, you know? So she's like, one moment. And I'm like, well, there it is. So she gets like a phone call, right? And there's a, you know, the glass and I can't hear. So she's just on the phone and she's like, "Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm just expecting like, she's going to, you know, turn on the thing and be like, your visa has been declined because I don't buy any of your shit. So she's (laughs) like, your visa has been approved. And I'm like, what? Like it went terrible. Like the interview was terrible. (laughs) And she's like, "Uh, you know, congratulations. It will be delivered to you on the next, uh, on on Monday or something. And I'm just like, for how long do they get a visa for? Because usually they give them what for one to three years sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she's like, for 10 years. And I was just like, wow. What? And she's like, yeah, you can stay in the country up to six months. You know, you got a visa for 10 years. So I'm all confused. And I call my family. I'm like, I got the visa. And I'm like, really? For how long? And so I tell them 10 years. And they're like, what? I'm like, I don't know. It went terrible. <laughs> so I go home. I arrive in the evening and I open Starcraft and I get a message and, there, and the message is from some guy that says, congrats on your visa. But I haven't told anyone because this was like a not announced project yet. So then I'm like, how do you know? And the guy tells me, I work at the US embassy where you went to and we saw your Holy interview. Holy called in the, the woman that was working and told they were laughing their asses off, two of them. <laughs> And they were laughing their asses off because they were like, we saw you struggle, but we didn't want to call in because it was funny. And then they called her in and told her it's real. Like the guy's not lying. And that's why I got the visa. And I was like, oh my God. That is what wild. Are they? wild. Yeah. That's crazy. So Wow. Yeah. So anyway, I went to the US. Uh, this was organized by Mr. Bitter that used to cast StarCraft 2. Uh, now he worked with Red Bull, I think, still. And Rotterdam, which you guys probably know. And this was supposed to be kind of like a team house sponsored by Razer, where we were supposed to create uh, content there. 
And in return, they were supposed to sponsor the house and we were supposed to get some players in and we were supposed to all practice. And it was supposed to be kind of like the first or one of the first foreign team houses. Uh, what ended up happening is I was much higher rated than the players there. And mm. Mr. Peter kind of wanted to take on some of the lower level guys to prove that they can improve uh, at a fast rate to become pro gamers, I guess. And I was basically, I got rank one GM on NA in the first week and they were like <laughs> master two, one. So right. the difference in skill was very different. So I couldn't really practice with them. And uh, I ended up staying there for, I think, five, six months, went to some MLGs. Uh, that was an entertaining experience as well. Uh, my first MLG ever, right? I go there and... Uh, First round opponent, I meet Sase. I don't know if you guys know back in the day who Sase was. <laughs> yeah. He was the best foreign product at the time. I meet him in round one because <laughs> one of the admins made a mistake and didn't seed Sase at all. So instead uh... of me playing against like a diamond three guy for the first three, four <laughs> rounds, I ended up meeting Sase. So we end up playing for like an hour and a half. And I lose <laughs> one. I drop in the loser's bracket. Oh, uh... And guess what? Another admin messed up, and Bial and another Korean got matched. So Bial loses two to one. And my first round <laughs> opponent loser's bracket was Bial. Back in his peak. And I ended up losing two to one to Bial as well. So this was my first MLG experience. So Bial ended up being like, I think, sixth in MLG, and Sase ended up third or fourth. Oh. And as Sase was going into semifinals, they asked him, Who's your hardest opponent? And he's like, well, this is pretty funny, but actually my round one was the hardest one so far. And they're like, who did you play? And they're like, for some reason, I ended up playing against BC Fury in round one. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> why did this have to happen to me? It seems like you're, so far your life is kind of plagued with administrative troubles. Is this a, yeah, I, is I this was, a going theme? or? <laughs> I mean, the admin trouble, that was the only one that was like, you know, scuffed because of that well i mean your your visa ran into some troubles there too so i was just wondering if this is like you get in trouble with the law yeah. you know no. No, 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 not as far as that goes but i was just so bummed out because i you know i wasn't like oh i'm winning this mlg but i was in right. super good shape and i didn't mind hard opponents because you have to meet them eventually but i was like right. really first round winners right out the game. losers come on yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, that was, and when I lost, I was just like, and then I, I, I was watching these guys, right? They were like Master 1, Master 2. They were reaching like MLG round 6 because for the first six rounds, you would usually just meet like Masters players or Diamond or something. And I dropped down in round 1 and I'm just like, <laughs> unfortunate, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, seating matters. It's funny. You wouldn't think that it would be that big of a deal maybe as an observer, but it leads to an outcome like you just described where someone who should be deeper in the tournament is out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that was a, a mistake. But, you know, I talk about this on my stream sometimes when people say, like, who do you think is going to win a tournament? And I always tell them, like, well, there's favorites. But at the end of the day, maybe the viewers don't see it, but every player has the best matchup. And this happened mm -hmm. to me, this happened to everyone, where one of your matchups is, like, 90% win rate. Like, whoever I play, I'm, I'm up for it. And then you have one matchup that's, like, 50-50, right, on the ladder or something. And then you mm -hmm. ended up playing against the top player from that race and you get crushed. And it's like, well, could you advance higher if you didn't meet that guy? Maybe, right? And there's always like the bracket luck. In the end of the day, you should be able to, you know, beat everyone, right? If you're the best player. But 
I do think there there is bracket luck for sure. Sometimes, even if you're good against the race, uh, you know, maybe the guy you played against is literally beating you every time because he knows right. what to do against you. Um, but yeah, you know, just get good and beat everyone. It's pretty much uh, how it goes. <laughs> so I actually have a question in regards to like, you know, you're, you're, you, get, you suffer a double knockout early in the bracket. When you're in a tournament like that, like it's, it's kind of obvious, like if you're playing rounds, that's what you're doing. But if, if you're, you know, two first L's, what do you do with the rest of your time? Are you playing pickup games? Are you watching other matches? Like what is going on on that other side of the tournament when you're not, you know, it's, it's a very sad thing. Like this is the thing that people don't realize, but when you lose a tournament, like people think like, oh, you lost like, you know, you know, pack up practice for another one but this is something you practice for months right right and then you go and you have a loss i mean sometimes you go to a tournament and you get cheesed out right two zero in Mm -hmm. 10 minutes and you're just like i've played thousands of hours so this guy proxies me twice you know and you lose right and i mean it never feels good you usually you're like super depressed right for like five hours you're just like man like why am i even playing this game like what's the point Mm. Um, but then, you know, you're at an event, right? There's a lot of people there. So you just go hang out, you watch games, meet people. Yeah. You got to make the best out of it at the end of the day. Right. So we, we've kind of talked a lot about in, in some of our other shows about some of the mental fortitude that goes into a game, especially a one V one competitive game where you do only have yourself to blame. Um, do you believe that that does, you know, kind of bleed into other aspects of your life. Like you said, you've got to kind of recover from a double loss of, of a situation that you had no control over and, or, or maybe you do have control and just play a couple bad rounds hmm. and you have to get over that. Cause you're in a very public space. There's still a lot of opportunity to enjoy your time. Do you feel like that is building your mental fortitude that you, you know, take that internally and get reflective with it? Or do you try to just, let it flow off you and move to the next thing. I mean, I think it's kind of like the MOBA thing. It depends from person to person. You know, some players will say, oh, this is terrible. Like, what's the point of me playing? You know, they, they maintain that attitude over days, weeks, right? Some people say like, there were plenty of players that I know that they lose and they're sad and then they open a replay and they see why they lost, right? Some people just insta like unplug and leave. So... I think it's from person to person and how they deal with it. Obviously, the healthy thing is to be like, okay, to look at a bigger picture, right? This is the one tournament out of, you know, 15 this year. It's fine. What did I do wrong this tournament? I mean, I wish I had this kind of uh, thinking back in the day, but, (laughs) you know, just to say like, okay, what did I do wrong? Okay, why did I lose? Okay, I got cheesed out. Why did I get cheesed out? What can I improve? Why did this happen? Why was I nervous? Why was I sleepy? You know, whatever it is, try to kind of focus it just kind of like if you're analyzing replay just analyze your tournament experience why did you lose what can you do better you know were you jet lagged or was the setup not good what was not good about it and try to kind of build on that but a lot of people i think just including me like i said back in the day kind of focus on just like oh i lost and you know this is you know whatever i'll I'll just play the next tournament, but they don't really look into why they lost and, and what actually happened. Cause, um, like I said, I, I'm definitely guilty of that. And, um, it's, 
kind of the reason why you need experience in tournaments to realize what's you know bothering you, what's affecting you, and stuff like that, and how to kind of compose yourself when things don't go well. Because I think, for example, when when I lost that first round against Sase, I was so annoyed by the fact that not by losing, but the why am I matched against them that I didn't play well in the second match, even though it was a two one, but I was constantly thinking I shouldn't be playing this. Like why am I in the round one losers bracket? I shouldn't be right. here at all. And I ended up when I was playing the game, I kept having these random thoughts like something would happen, like Muta would kill my whatever medevac. And I'm like, man, there it is. If I didn't get matched, you know, that's the first thing that would come in my head uh, in my head. So I think you kind of just have to learn from it and uh, try to kind of eliminate the stuff that is not going well for you or find your weaknesses, whether it's, you know, from the setup to how you feel to in gameplay and kind of, you know, move on because you can't dwell on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear you talk about it because it's, I mean, it's just really what you're describing is, is mindfulness, right? Being, being in the present moment and not allowing other thoughts, even if they're, thoughts related to the subject at hand, but not letting those to kind of be in your head in the moment when you're performing, because like you said, then it leads to distraction and now you're not focused in. Uh. I mean, I don't play games well at all to, to be clear. So I'm not you, um, <laughs> but like I play rocket league a, a lot, right. And rocket league is really short matches. And I always joke that the entire range of human emotion is, is on display in a, in a five minute match of rocket league. Cause you have the, highest highs and the lowest lows and, and everything in between. And even in that though, I will catch myself, you know, like I'll make a, a bad play or miss a shot or something. And just in the next 30 seconds, the next time the ball comes, if I'm thinking about that previous miss, I'm more likely to miss uh -huh. again. Right. But it can be hard to, to just shed it and just stay in the now, just stay in the now. Um, yeah. So I, I, something I wanted to ask you though, and I mean, you kind of spoke to it here, but, what is the difference between playing on on ladder? And I don't mean just for giggles, but like if you're really trying to play on ladder and establish yourself, what is the mindset difference between that and playing in a tournament? Well, on the ladder, there's, uh, first of all, uh, these days, a lot of players practice together. Back in the day, you had kind of groups of players practicing together. So sometimes if you're high on ladder, you meet the same players all the time. So what people used to do and what I used to do is, you know, I would meet one guy constantly and I knew he was going to a tournament or maybe I'm even in the same group as him, right? Because groups were announced beforehand. I would just play completely like same style, but something I, I don't really do or, and then switch it up. Or I would do exactly what I do, which would be like, let's say mech. And then to a tournament I go and I play bio two games while every other Terran I play against, for example, or whatever race it is, I just practice bio. But only against him, I would just do something completely different. So there's a lot of mind games in live tournaments that, um, I mean, I don't know if, if I can even say casters miss because you can't really know unless you know the players, but there's a lot of mind games. Sometimes people mm -hmm. say like, why is he doing this build? It's so bad. But you don't know how many times they played and how many times he beat him with that build. You don't uh, know if that player, you know, hates oracles. Maybe you're not good with oracles, but you should make them against him, you know? 
So right. there's a lot of that going on. On the ladder, uh, it's mostly mechanic practicing, just mm. kind of like playing every day. And when you want to focus on a build, it's very hard to do it on ladder because if you say like, okay, in TVZ today, I'm going to do triple CC, you might meet 10 processes in a row. So that mm -hmm. doesn't work. Uh, so it's more like mechanics. You kind of have range of builds. Um, what I used to do is I would have like three builds and then per matchup for the ladder. And then you just kind of you know, just play them around and get comfortable with units. And if you want to focus on a specific thing for a tournament or something, you you have to you know actually practice in custom games. But um, in tournament, you're definitely more focused. You're definitely more aware. Like mm. I I always played faster in tournaments because I was always like super focused and, and trying to, you know, play the game and think about all the possibilities. Um, where on ladder, you, you know, as you're entering the, the lobby, you're kind of just relying on scouting. You don't really think like, oh, what can you do? Or, you know, this guy loves to do this. Uh, but in a tournament, if you know you're going to play against someone, you kind of, you know, even ask around, like, what does he do recently? What are, you know, you know, if he cheeses, if he doesn't cheese. Um, and you kind of maybe not, not hard counter, but you do those builds that you have mixed in. You do builds that are appropriate to play that specific player. Well, on the ladder, you know, it's all barcodes now, so. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, until you leave the game, at least. Everyone's so a secret to... agent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, we've talked to some other people about, like, ladder anxiety, and I know you've got some some videos on that. Um, but I, I'm kind of wondering, is do you feel like there's a difference, either from your own experience or that of others, between ladder anxiety and tournament anxiety? Because I feel like whether it's in front of a crowd or not, even if you're behind your own computer with the stakes being higher, like it can already be difficult to, to hype yourself up to go into a ladder. But I, I, is there a difference in hyping yourself up to sign up for a tournament or walk through the doors or sit down to play? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like ladder anxiety is, it stems from the, the whole theme game thing again. People just have hard time saying I suck at this game. And mm. like, that's what I said in my video about it. Like, if you are silver or diamond and you're like, oh my God, I'm scared of killing. Why are you scared? You're playing for points in a game. Like, who right. cares? You know, make a make a barcode if you're worried that your friends will see it. But the, the problem is they're afraid of being bad, right? They're afraid of like, oh, I'm diamond, but if I lose three games, I'm going to be platinum. So what? That's what you are. You know, like you're not platinum because someone's scamming you for the points. You're platinum because you're platinum. So people are too focused on rank and points and, and what will other people think kind of thing. Instead of just saying, uh, one of the one of the things that uh, back in the day when I used to coach, I would always tell people, they're like, oh, but you know, uh, I didn't play a lot of games. And I was like, why? And they're like, oh, well, because I didn't want to lose my rank. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, log your account right now. So the guy logs in and he's like, yeah, I'm like, queue up for a ladder. So he queues up and I'm like, leave the game. He's like, no, but I'm like, leave the game. He leaves the game, I'm like, queue another one. So I make him leave 10 to 20 games. And now I say, okay, now that your rank is completely shit, now you can start playing the game and not worry about your rank. It's, it's irrelevant. If you deserve to be where you're at, you'll get back to it again. Um, on the other hand, ladder is more like a personal thing, right? Um, where I, I truly believe it stems from that, from the rank, how other people will perceive me. Uh, people don't like losing. I mean, this is the case everywhere, right? Whether it's a single player or, or a multiplayer game. 
But tournaments is more like, you know, there's so many people watching you play. Uh, you're you kind of have fear of what if I don't play well? What if and not play well means not play up to what I can play at my peak, right? Because right. mm-hmm. no one wants to go out there and perform like top fifty GM when they're top three GM, because mm-hmm. you know it kind of reflects poorly. And there's so many people watching you. There's you know you're afraid of you know making mistakes of um, you know what if I go for this build and the guy just blind counters me. Because sometimes those builds do exist. So you're worried about what's going to happen into the game or in the game. Um, you're also worried, you know, if you, like I said earlier, you practice for months and you go to a tournament and then it's like a best of three. That's it. Like that best of three till the next tournament. So right. it puts a lot of pressure and, and like emphasis on a few games where ladder you can play 30 a day. And even if you lose all 30, you can get back up the next day. In tournament, if you lose, you're out. Right. That's it. There's no, oh, let me try again. None of that. And then when you go next time, it doesn't make it easier because it's the same thing. If you lose, you're out. Um, and this happened a lot back in the day because tournaments were like that. Now it's a lot easier. You know, you see uh, ESL doing stuff like six people in groups, five people in groups, best of threes, best of fives. So even if you have a, and this was specifically made for that reason because I mean, I have days, every pro player had days where you go to a tournament. I remember the, the old dream hacks and uh, your group is, you know, best of threes. If you lose right twice, you're gone, right? So you just have a bad day, right? You, you don't play well, you lose and you're out. And it's like, I traveled to another country and it came down to, you know, two hours of gameplay, two best of threes. Well, now when they do tournaments, if it's like five, six players, they're played through four days. So you can mm. really say, like, I had a bad day. You can have one bad day, but you should still win the other three, uh, which I think is great from from player point of view. Um, and it kind of creates less of that, like, oh, I have to win now. Like, this is the, right? Because you can always say, like, okay, I have, you know, more games, more time and stuff like that uh, to kind of, you know, relax and, and play your own game. Yeah, I, I I love what you've highlighted there and the difference between ladder anxiety and tournament anxiety. Uh, and not to congratulate ourselves on the show, but great question, Brett. Um, <laughs> but really, because because what you highlighted, I think, is the difference between like tournament anxiety. There's really something on the line, uh-huh. right? Like you really have traveled to another country, for example, maybe, and you really are invested in this enough to be in the pro tournament in the first place. Whereas with ladder anxiety, and to your point about how it relates to the team game stuff, it's fake anxiety. I mean, it's experienced in a very real way, I know. But it's <laughs> but irrelevant, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you didn't buy yeah. a plane ticket. You bought maybe a video game. A lot of them are free to play. So really, it's just hard drive space is all that's at stake now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's because there's this, and I don't, I, you know, I used to think it was uniquely American, but I don't know that that's true now. But it, there's this this fascination with, being credited with the image of being something like, oh, I'm a diamond player. And like being able to say I'm a diamond player versus actually just being a, a diamond player. And again, that's not even prestigious, right? That's just, <laughs> that's a I little have, bit I've of I've heard that many times. Yeah, I've heard that many times yeah. in other games. Like I would be out of playing right. a game and this guy, you know, he doesn't, doesn't know who I am, right? 
And he's like, oh yeah, I used to be Diamond One in StarCraft. And I'm just like... <laughs> right. Yeah, so as my friend that's, you know, played for two weeks, like, who cares, right? When I first started playing StarCraft, I said uh, I was proud to be Pocketland League because I was not quite bronze yet. I was like, yeah. if there was maybe a copper or a Pocketland area that I could be in, that's where I need to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is It is true. It's, it's not about... Because, uh, you know, being proud of your league is fine. But it's not about being that league. It's about telling others that you're that league. Right. And this is where right. the problem arises in the latter anxiety. Why do you worry that someone's going to see your whatever, right? Right. Who cares? You're like, I always tell this to, to my viewers. You're all trash compared to me. And I'm trash <laughs> compared to pro players. And they're all right. trash compared to Sarah. So who cares? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Doesn't matter. Right. Like, There's levels. There's, There's levels. levels. Exactly. I mean, you're... You, doesn't matter what you do in life. You're bad compared to someone. Right. And there's always and bigger fish. To, exactly. And there's always smaller fish. Yeah. But you shouldn't look at the smaller fish and be like, I'm better than that guy. Yeah, but right. the, the you know, the pyramid that you need to climb to, you're not even like halfway done. And you're <laughs> you're looking down already. It's like what's the what's the point in that? Um, I got halfway up Mount Everest, but you haven't even been there. So, I mean, well, actually, I climbed a hill behind my house. (laughs) That's great. Um, So something else that that I had kind of stood out to me in just your affinity for for picking up games. And I mean, I had no idea until you shared earlier the the variety of competitive games you've played just in the last decade. But it it just sounds seems you remind me of of. A, a natural athlete in a physical sense, right? Like I have a friend who, you know, he can run and jump and dance and uh, do martial arts, just anything he picks up athletically, he can just kind of do at a pretty good level right away. And it seems like with gaming, you're kind of that way too. But when it comes to physical things, like, you know, if you're going to play basketball at a high level, you probably can't be under six feet i mean maybe uh-huh. you could but you know there are just obvious physical indicators to like yeah you, you're gonna have an affinity for this or not but with gaming i think everyone thinks on some level they could be pro they just aren't putting in the time or they just whatever but i mean you're kind of an example i mean i know you haven't been playing professionally in every game that you've uh-huh. talked about but still like it, it's not just a time thing like no. Do you have, and I'm not trying to ask you to brag on yourself or something, but do you have any sense of what that underlying thing is that makes you a natural esports athlete? <laughs> I mean, it's it's all like I, I truly believe it is how your brain works, and the way my brain works this way is because I started playing games at a super young age, and I didn't yeah. play you know games like Cookie Clicker where you're just clicking, right? I played strategy <laughs> games, so right when I enter a new strategy game, I can pick it up you know, within three hours, while someone Mm. that played, you know, CSGO five times in their life, they're going to be like, what is this, right? It's just uh, the, the, the span of time I I will need to learn a game compared to someone that's played, you know, less than me, just in general, just gaming point of view, there's a huge difference in that. Um, Plus, some people are just better at gaming, just like some people are better at basketball. Uh, mm-hmm. You can practice as much as you want. I know plenty of people that, you know, they've been playing since 2010, they're always diamond. And they've mm-hmm. had, you know, some of them had the same amount of games as I did per season. So why are they not GM? And I think it's kind of like another way of coping, like, oh, if I had more time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, I mean, 
you know, these days I play StarCraft II way less and I still maintain GM with all three races. I play maybe 15 to 20 hours a week right now with three races and I'm still GM. So there's a certain, you know, just level and experience you need to have from the gaming itself. Does time help? Sure. But if someone never played StarCraft right now, if they start playing today, it's going to take them years to get to, and I'm talking like four or five years to get to where the pro players are now, just because we have experience and time on them. So I think that whole thing, if if I played that amount, no, that that's not how it works. Because then we would all be pro gamers and, uh, you know, there would be no noobs, right? Everyone would be a pro. Uh, <laughs> And, or the uh, bar for noob would be a lot higher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I've heard that argument before, and I discussed it plenty of times in my stream. Like, mm. I always tell them, like, I'm not good at, I used to be good at sports, but I'm not good at sports now. You know, I'm not good at some things in life. I'm good at gaming, right? That That's my thing. That's what I invest a lot of my time in, in my life into. So, and sometimes you're just naturally yet good at understanding things whether it's you know math whether it's whatever it is right so when i pick up a game i i quickly get you know interested in it and i instantly go like okay what is the fastest way to learn what do i need to change what do i need to learn first and most people when they play games they're just like ah oh, you know tra -la -la, i'm shooting but when i enter a shooter i'm like okay you know how do i do uh, slide into shooting. Are there faster ways to reload? How can I swap weapons faster? That's how my brain works. But most people, they're just playing with friends. And they can play the same amount, but, uh, you know, quality is not same as, uh, or quantity is not same as quality. So it's also like how you play the games. When I mm. played StarCraft, I played to improve. I didn't care about my rank. Um, I just wanted to improve and I wanted to win. But most players, like you say, you know, sometimes they log in, they play five games, they do a proxy racks, and they go offline. Like you didn't learn anything there. You might play right. same amount of time as I did, but you didn't learn anything there. So um, definitely, I, I've known a lot of pro players that were extremely just not talented at all, but they played three times more than anyone else did, and they got to pro level. Um, but I think someone like, uh, you know, Sarah or Rainer, it's not... I'm sorry, but you cannot reach that level unless you're talented. It's just right. not going to happen. Uh, mm. Just no way. Um, because, like I said, I mean, they've been playing StarCraft for a long time. You know, they look at Rainer, for example, and they're like, oh, where did he come from? He's been playing StarCraft for like seven, eight years now. You just didn't know right. who he was, right? And if you say like, oh, but he's just seven, eight years, I mean, how old is he? He played StarCraft half of his life. Right. <laughs> so... And he's also, you know, when he played it, he was young and he was absorbing information, which also matters, right? What age you're at and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm sorry. If you just play a game, you're not going to get naturally good at it like pro players. It's just... No, I think that's a, I think that's awesome. I'm really, I, I'm, I think that's a fascinating answer. And, and I like it a lot because, you know, outside of gaming, there's a really popular um, idea that's this idea of the 10,000 hour rule, um, which was not written by Malcolm Gladwell, but was popularized in one of his books. And it basically is this idea that in order to be truly great at something, you're probably going to have to have about 10,000 hours invested mm -hmm. into it. And he looks at a wide range of examples from the Beatles to uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all these different people, Mozart. Um, 
and most they all have this 10,000 hours but he goes on to explain that that's not that it's not a formula right you don't put put in 10,000 hours and now all of a sudden you're a, a master or a savant at this thing so to your point like if someone wanted to start today yeah there's going to be some time that they have to put in like you said maybe 4 or 5 years or something but at the same time just cuz you play for 4 or 5 years i mean i've played starcraft very on and off for, for more than that and i'm and i'm not cracking platinum you know what i mean so <laughs> clearly oh, yeah. the amount of time does not just translate into to results um so yeah i just i think that's really interesting uh to hear you explain that i, I would say like pro I, i'll say probably 60 80% of the people can get master right i would even say 30 40% can get gm the problem is talented players that are naturally good at learning video games or are good at rts will take less time let's say they will take i don't know 500 hours but someone that's just not good they might take 8000 hours so but what's the point right you reach gm but you're still not in order to reach seral you're going to need to play 40000 hours right and by then mm-hmm. you know will you know seral will be a grandpa so what's the point right. so you know technically you can reach gm with you know any skill but not really because it's not really realistic right you're not going to be playing 15 years for 9 hours a day every single day so um and there are some players that are good at games right not not insanely good but they're they're decent and again i think in order to reach that super high level like i'm talking top by world you need to be talented and you need to practice um there was never a player that didn't practice and was like winning tournaments and there was right. never a player that was just practicing and he was brainless that uh, those two things you know you need to have the talent and you need to put in the effort mm. that's that's how you have the best players in the world and you know in a way it sucks right because it's like oh i wasn't born this way or i didn't start playing games this early but it is how it is i mean If you think about it, uh, you know, football, AK soccer for you guys, how many people in the world play it? Are people saying they're not investing enough time? I know a lot of people that play, I mean, in Europe it's extremely popular. So why not why is not everyone a pro player? Pro football because right. it's it's not just the time, it's uh it's a lot of things. So you uh I I I 100% agree with that and I think I think that you know relating it to sports is is kind of a a good corollary because there just are a lot of factors it's your mind you know it's not just your your practice but your mindset any raw talent that you have I think early introduction is a huge thing as well like uh-huh. just having that exposure early and and to your credit not just casual gaming but intense you know competitive gaming probably yeah. helps build that that mindset or yeah, you, you need to, you need to have a competitive mindset sorry to interrupt like you need to want to win if you're mm-hmm. playing the game cuz oh it's fun you're not going anywhere right. you need to want you need to enter a game and say i'm better than this guy and i can beat him and when you lose you're not supposed to be moppy you're supposed to say if i played again i would beat him 100% that's the competitive you need to improve um another thing is like any sports player You know, if they're NBA player, they didn't pick up basketball at 17 and they're NBA at 18. They've played right. since they were like three years old, and their dad was like an ex, you know, professional basketball player, mm-hmm. and they had coaches. That's how it works. You know, like um, the the tennis player from Serbia, Novak Djokovic. He's been playing tennis since he was like four or five. 
Right. And he had coaches since he was very young age. And the coaches were really good tennis players. So, you know, when people look at this, it's like, oh, you know, he came out of nowhere. Not really. You just haven't seen that he's been playing for the past 15, 20 years. Um, right. And again, you know, to his level, you won't be able to pick up tennis and get to that level in five years. It does not happen. Yeah, especially at my age, that's not I'm not going to be picking up yeah. tennis and getting any to any level, even if yeah. I gave it five years. So, so guys, you can't get GM, but if you want to be Sarah Rayner, I probably too late unless you're 10 year old. So, right. <laughs> so, so you transitioned out of the kind of the programming scene and shifted into uh, streaming and YouTube content and kind of becoming a content creator. Uh, do you have, is, was there anything specific that drove that decision or was it just something that, you know, kind of a passion change? Uh, I was always super serious when I was pro, you know, pro player. I was always like worried to say something edgy or say something. Cause you know, you also had sponsors and teams, which, uh, I was mostly in team empire and they were really great. Like they, you know, they just said big terms you want to go to and we'll send you. So shout out to them. Uh, cause they were like actually really nice. But a lot of players had this problem with teams like, oh, I can't do this. Can't say that. But I was super serious and I took myself too serious when I was a pro player. Right. I wanted to be like the, uh, I guess like the cool guy, you know, like just shows wins and kind of like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I planned that kind of thing. And when I was kind of just, uh, when I played my last tournament, which was uh, WSG in Europe, in Ukraine, I ended up kind of practicing all off correct. I ended up getting third. And after that, I went to China for like the grand finals. And I, I was kind of like, just realized like I'd reached a point where I'm kind of done. Like, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to go home and practice for eight hours a day. Like there's a point in your life where it's literally, I'm too old for this shit. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, you reach an age where it's like, okay, well, when I was 20, 20, even 25, even a bit older, it's fine to play professionally, but eventually you got to think like, what am I going to do when this stops? Right. So mm -hmm. I ended up kind of playing professionally, but not really for the past three months, uh, until I think like March slash April of 2016 or 17, I'm not even sure. And I was thinking about what am I going to do? Right. Cause I, I've been pro gamer for the past like seven, eight years. It's pretty much the only thing I've done in my adult life. So what do I do, right? Um, I realized I want to do something in gaming. I realized I want to, you know, stay where it is. So I had the option. Do I continue StarCraft and force myself to do it? Which I knew it wouldn't work because if you don't have that, I want to win. I want to be the best. It's just not going to work out. Um, or I could switch to another game or... I don't know. I was just kind of like, uh, you know, playing around with the ideas. And uh, my girlfriend said, why don't you upload YouTube videos? And I was like, I don't even know how do I upload a YouTube video, you know? <laughs> like, I have a YouTube account to, like, you know, listen to music and watch stuff. Like, I have no experience in that at all. And she's like, well, just try it, right? It, maybe you like it, right? And I was like, I really don't think so, but uh, sure. And she's like, just upload a video, right? If you like it, give it a week or two, maybe think about something, upload another one, and maybe people will interest it. And I was like, no, I'm like, no one's gonna watch me do anything. Like, who cares, right? Like, I'm this serious guy. And she's like, you're not though. 
And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, you're a troll in real life. Like, you know, I'm the guy <laughs> that makes fun of people that's messing around. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm not like that in StarCraft. And she's like, but why not? And I was like, well, back in the day, you could say it was because of your team. But now I was like, well, there's no reason. And she's like, well, yeah, just, you know, be yourself. Just mess around and see where it takes you. I was like, okay. So I upload the first video and he got like a thousand views or not even a thousand. He got like 500 views the first day. And I was like, oh my God, 500 people looked at this kind of thing. Wow. And I remember over the next four or five days, it reached 1,000. And it was a, actually it wasn't even me playing. It was a first person, a recording of Maru playing at WSG in China. So it was a four minute video of me recording Maru from behind playing and you can see his keyboard and that's it. And I was like, oh, and I think it was easy, right? There was no editing, there was nothing. It was just, yep. you know, raw uploaded <laughs> on YouTube, right? So I was like, okay, what could I do, right? Cause I'm not gonna be uploading videos of other people. So I gotta do something on my own, right? So I did like a gameplay video or maybe I did like a tutorial. And I remember I linked it, I think on or like Reddit all things there or something. They were like, oh, this was super helpful. Are you gonna make more? I was like, I don't know, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> so as the time passed, I realized I started playing less and less. Wasn't really, it was kind of clear. I'm not gonna be a pro gamer anymore. Uh, right. Maybe not officially, but you know, deep inside it was. So I started looking into programs for editing, um, watched a lot of videos on how to do, well, videos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had different ideas, started uploading, you know, some uh, guides, some whatever, um, you know, which units are good, how to use unit compositions. Then it moved into, let's upload like the best game from the stream or something like that. Maybe people will like it. And I kind of use my stream and YouTube together to promote one another. Um, and I remember, you know, the first time when I got thousand videos in 24 hours, I was like, wow, that's crazy stuff. Right. Uh, and then, you know, sub count kept going up and people like, you know, more videos and you kind of get dragged into it. And I also realized I enjoy doing like content creation because you can do anything, right? Right. It's, whatever you want. I mean, literally you can go do guides, you can talk about whatever you want, you can play whatever you want. And I was like, I could, you know, I don't need to practice, you know, I can still be good and have good games, but I can kind of mess around in games. And uh, it's not important, doesn't matter if I lose or win, which I liked mm -hmm. quite a bit, right? Because it went from gotta win, gotta win to just kind of like, oh, you know, you play 20 games in ladder. It's like, oh, this one's good, upload it to YouTube. So over time, it just kind of became more and more, I guess, you know, editing, more complicated, uh, try to, you know, bring up new ideas, uh, tried out a bunch of stuff, right? I tried um, all kinds of content and seeing what people like until I reached the, uh, you know, what, what I mainly do now is the, the two Grandmaster series. Um, and the main reason I did that is I always tell people, uh, you know, I played StarCraft for, at that point, like eight years. And to play one game eight years for eight hours a day plus, you get bored. Like, mm. it doesn't matter how good the game is, it's boring. Like, I've seen it all. You know, when you play a game and, and it's like I lose five units, ten units, I know exactly where I'm in, in the game. That's how much I've played it, you know, any pro player uh, did. 
So I was like, how can I make this more fun for myself? And I got the idea to do challenges. And initially it was like super basic, like mech to grandmaster. Because people, you know, watch me because I play mech. So people were like, oh, this was great. You know, what are you going to do next? And I was like, mm, buy it to Grandmaster, right? And then I was like, all right, what's next? So I'm like, kind of like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. But I was like, okay, let's do Sky Terran to Grandmaster. Like no ground unit, just Sky Terran. So I read GM and then, you know, the obvious, what do I do now, right? So people, you know, were suggesting do this, do that. Started playing a little bit of random, did that with Protoss and Zerg. And again, I reached the same problem, like, where do I go now? So someone suggested, I think, one of the early series was like, um, uh, do mass marines. And I was like, yeah, sure. People are like, oh, there's no way you do that. And I was just like, I was still like top 20, 30 GM. And I'm like, <laughs> pretty sure I can get GM with just marines against like, you know, master one players or low GM. So I did that and everyone was like, oh my God, you know, this was crazy. I loved it. And I was like, I can do that. I can just pick a unit and I can just do that to Grandmaster because uh, it's the content that no one's doing. Because most YouTubers at that time were, uh, they were casting games, right? So I didn't want to do that because there's already people doing it. And um, there was quite a few people that focused on guides specifically. So I was kind of thinking, what can I do that's different? And I realized, um, you know, compared to these other YouTubers, I was an ex-pro player. I was super high rated. So I was like, let's try to use that to kind of differentiate myself from the others and try to get, you know, views and subscribers that way. And uh, I mean, it, it worked out. So here we are. That's super cool. awesome. Oh, yeah. So it's a kind of a troll to Grandmaster sort of thing became your shtick then. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I... I like the kind of the challenge of I actually really dislike playing initial 10, 15 games because it's just opponents that can't really win right. because of just skill difference. And I thought about it a lot, how I can I avoid it? I thought about like playing off of stream 10, 15 games to get to like master three and then start doing the series. And one time I tried that. Uh, off of stream, I did it, and then I played games, and I realized, like I'm doing, for example, Mass Widowmind Raven, right? And then I'm facing a Master 3 guy, and I'm like, I don't even know what build I'm doing. And I just get crushed because I, I don't know what to do, right? I've never played it. Or I do, you know, like only Void Rays. And it's like, that's great, but if you just suddenly enter a game against Master 2, you're probably going to lose just because, like, oh, right, he just ran in with Zergings and I died. So I realized that those first 10, 15 games are kind of like a learning tool to figure out a bill, what am I going to do and stuff like that. But the reason why I liked it is it kind of, uh, StarCraft got super narrow in terms of builds and strategy over, over the years. So I wanted mm -hmm. to show people, a lot of people quit because they were bored, you know, like, oh, I don't want to do Reaper fastly spend every game. So mm -hmm. I started doing these series and I realized it's kind of like in a way, a way to show people like you can play differently right and you can always say you know well yeah you got gm because you are gm but the point is if you're diamond you can still be diamond by doing this right so it doesn't matter what league so um you know you can play only with marines you can play only with widow mind raven you can only play with battle cruisers you can only play with whatever it is right 
and it's just a, a kind of like a new way to play the game. And suddenly, I was very entertained again by the StarCraft because I it felt like a new game. Mm. You know, when you do like Mass Marine against Zerg, you know, well, okay, you know, sure, Mass Marine. We've seen that even in pro games. But go do Mass Marine against Terran when he has 200 supply and half of his siege tanks, right? Suddenly, <laughs> yes, I'm GM and the guy's Master 1, but, you know, if 20 siege tanks start shooting, I'm just going to die. So I have to kind of find ways around those situations, which I found entertaining. And I guess because people never seen that before, um, you know, be able to get to that level, which for a lot of people is unachievable for one reason or another, whether they, you know, they're playing enough or not. Uh, they loved seeing that because they watch pro games and the only thing they see is, you know, 2-1-1, Widow Mind Drop. And now there's me that's, you know, doing a one base battle for the rush. And I'm winning against low GM and master one players. And people mm -hmm. found that, you know, entertaining. Um, I put in some of my, you know, uh, kind of personality into it. Let loose, so to say, right? So I stopped being like shy or, you know, worried to say something wrong or whatever. And I just kind of went with it and... It worked out. Uh, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, it is unique content, and I think with like handicaps that I have by doing them, it doesn't necessarily even out against like a, a diamond guy, but it does even out in masters because mm. as much as uh, you know, sometimes you have the mechanics working for you, some things just don't work, and uh, sometimes you just die to stuff, and it's like, well, got to figure out how to win against that, I guess. Yeah, it's really interesting, it, it, and not to not to overly flatter you or something, but it 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 reminds me of Bobby Fischer, the the famous chess player, because you know chess is is obviously looked at as this game of of great strategy, and there's all this mental you know taxing stuff that goes into it. But the truth is that a lot of chess is is a lot of pattern recognition, uh -huh. um, and and so like Bobby Fischer later in his career started trying to play chess by rearranging the starting position so that it's not the traditional starting uh -huh. position of chess, which then blows up everyone's pattern recognition because now those don't, aren't valid anymore. And, and so it just kind of reminds me of that with you talking about in StarCraft, it, doing these, you know, we can call them troll builds, but to your point, I mean, it kind of reinvigorated your passion for the game because it's almost kind of similar in that you're, you're kind of blowing up this, again, kind of traditional pattern recognition and saying, like there's a real game to play here that's not just based on memorizing build orders uh -huh. and, and that sort of stuff. Does that sound accurate, or do you yeah. think of yourself as Bobby Fischer? <laughs> uh, not, not quite. But I, I enjoy the the process of learning. Like that's you know when I try, like I said, when I try a new game, that's the first thing I want to know. Like how does this work? How can I improve it? So it's the same thing with the series. Whenever I play them, I like to try new things. You know, if I do a series, like I try proxy, I try macro build. But it's actually funny how many people completely fall apart uh, to stuff they haven't seen. So initially when I started, uh, can't remember any series specifically uh, top of my head, but uh, I would do like a Battlecruise Rush against Heron. And you know, it's bad, right? That build is bad. But I've won games because the Terran would like run in eight Marines and a Viking, and you just walk over the Marines and kill them all because eight Marines don't do any damage. But they've never mm -hmm. faced it. So they don't, 
they don't really think about it, right? And they lose, and then they are like, you know, what is this, you know, BS that I'm facing, right? And I'm just like, I'm laughing because it's funny because you're not supposed to do that, right? Then the next time I play him, he doesn't do that. He adjusts. But in the moment, he's never faced it. So he has to, you know, do it in the moment. And people make a lot of bad, you know, decisions because they've simply never played against it. Um, I had a lot of series where, you know, let's say I, I go super early ghosts and the Zerg opens Muta after they've seen the ghost because the interaction of ghosts against Muta doesn't exist. Like when in the game does the, do those two collide? <laughs> and I just oh, yeah. kind of like, why is he going mutas, right? Because I've played against mutas with ghosts, and I know they're awful, but that guy hasn't. <laughs> so the guy flies in with twelve mutas, and I just snipe them all, and the guy just leaves the game. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> you know, like what did you expect? But it's that, <laughs> it's that like automatic gameplay. Like he goes mutas, he doesn't adjust, and he sees ghosts, but he still goes mutas, mm. and. um I think it's pretty funny to see people's reactions. I've had games where, uh, you know, I'm doing something super weird. Like uh, I did um, um, recently, uh, the, the last one I did was Hellbat Thor to Grandmaster, right? Mm -hmm. Against Zerg, I had, I think, 98% win rate because it's not <laughs> that bad. You know, early right. on, you can do a lot of damage and kind of transition off of it. But against Protoss, it's awful. And against right. Terran. So I would have games where... I win against three Terrans in a row by they are doing the first push with like Ravens and stuff. And I have like one or two Thors and I boost like six Medivacs with Hellbats on top of their army. That's Marines with no stim and siege mm -hmm. things, right? So Marines just insta die and it looks like the easiest thing ever. And then I play a guy that just doesn't move out and waits and he just kills me. And I'm like, oh. Right. I forgot that this is actually awful, right? <laughs> so same thing with Protoss. You know, initially I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing Hellion drops, killing probes, and the guy goes, doesn't take damage, goes six gate blink stalker, and I just die. And I'm like, oh right. How do I defend against that? And I found out the hard way, you don't really, you just kind of die. <laughs> one Thor is not defending, you know, 15 stalkers as much as you right. wanted to. So uh yeah, it's it's just entertaining, it's for fun. Um you know, I've I've received a lot of uh, backlash in StarCraft two community because of it, uh, but the way I see it is, you know, I've I've had a lot of comments is like, oh, people are quitting the game because of you, and I'm like, listen, dude, uh, if someone uh, quits a game because they lost one time against me, Diamond, in their lifetime, maybe they should quit the game. You know, like, is that really the re you lose a game on the ladder against Hellbeth Thor, and you're like, that's it, I'm out. Like, no one does that. You not know? everybody. I'm sure there are plenty of other equally matched diamond players who are just diamond who aren't trying to play to grandmaster. Exactly. Who want to make a crazy build because they like those units and yeah. they can. They're just as likely to get you because you're playing to quote to the meta or whatever. The, the funny thing is, like, so many players. Like, whenever I do a series, right? I started, and then people the next day come to my stream and they're like, "Oh my god, dude, I've met." like 10 Terrans or 10 Protoss doing the same thing you did, you're <laughs> ruining the ladder, you know, like joking. But it's just having a like a kind of like an effect on ladder because people are like, oh, that looks fun. I'll try that in my games, right? But I think people always tend to focus on like the negatives. And I assume mm -hmm. some people don't ever watch my stream, so they assume I'm in Bronze League, like playing 500 games. But <laughs> it actually takes me from a new account to like Master 3 takes me like 10, 15 games. And 
even if I'm doing that weird strat, I make it even worse by doing something even dumber with it, you know, to, to just right. not necessarily balance it. It's not balanced. I'm clearly favored because of skill difference. Um, but in the end, it's like, it's all for fun. And, and people focus on that like negative thing of like, you're ruining someone's experience. And I'm like, sure, let, let's say, let's say I am. Every two months, I'm ruining 15 people, uh, 15 people's like, whatever experience in the game let's say all 15 quit right and then i ask what about you know the the 10 plus thousand watching the videos every day that are saying like oh yeah i started playing starcraft again because of you right mm -hmm. you know no one ever mentions that because why would you right what about you know the five guys that quit they would have quit anyway if they met me or someone else if they're quitting because of a loss right because they don't right. know they played against me so um I feel like people try to focus on the negatives too much. And uh, in a way, StarCraft community sees StarCraft as like a pure game. Like you're supposed to play this way and you're supposed to play at your level. Um, some people still think, again, you know, people that don't watch my stream, they still think I'm like top 20 GM player. I'm like, I'm not. I'm Currently, I'm actually struggling on my main account. I'm like rank 150 GM because I haven't been playing StarCraft as much. And um, people kind of just, you know, just just play games and just upload them to YouTube. And I'm like, nobody wants to watch that. Like, right. you know, like people want to watch something they haven't seen. People want to watch entertainment. And, uh, you know, nothing in this world is like black and white. It's like good or bad. There's some good in it, right? There's some bad. Um, but a lot of people, like I said, have installed StarCraft, started playing it again, started watching it again because of either me or another YouTuber that someone might find annoying. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of people that I do play on the ladder is like the people that are, you know, also watching my stream. So they know it's me. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of like balances out. But yeah, I, I think that... Uh, when you, when that many people like enjoy it and I enjoy it. And like I said, I don't think it's that big of a expense for someone to quit the game over or something. I think people are in Starcraft two, when they hear Smurf, they think of like right. a master one guy killing bronzies with like hardcore strats, which I literally never do because I just kind of find it pointless. I don't like doing like, oh, let's queue up on silver account and troll people. It's like, what's the point, right? At the right, end of the right. day. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's just, a, there's a few themes that you've hit on throughout our conversation this evening that I just, I just think are, are really neat. And I don't know how aware you are if you were even trying to make these points, but I mean, things you've talked about are, uh, you know, consistency in, in playing, um, having being mindful, right? Staying in, in the, in the moment and not getting outside of that. Um, taking things seriously enough to, to actually care about the thing that we're doing as opposed to the image of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what we're talking about with the, the ladder anxiety and all that stuff. And then, and one thing you said that I think that that's, I I've honestly been thinking about it since you said it, and it was a little while ago now, but you said, and it was casually, but you said it, it it's someone's capacity for learning. And I think that that's a skill that we don't really a know how to measure or b 
talk about that often and and i and you know maybe with good reason because how embarrassing to be the person that doesn't learn as well or something maybe right but mm. but i think that that is so key i mean you know we talked about it in the in the frame of of age or or when someone is is learning a game because maybe they're more receptive to it but i think that that is just so much of what we see when we talk to you know about professionals whether it be in gaming or whatever is, is we see the end product and we see the mastery over it and we think that that is that that those end end game or end level skills are 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 what mo- drives a person to the success and it i just i don't think that it is i think it's it's stuff like that that you said about what is your capacity for learning because the better you are at learning the better you are at tackling any variety of circumstances right mm-hmm. so i i do think that there is uh i mean i'm not sure if there's a like necessarily a, a skill cap but I do think that as you play more, you do improve. It's just a matter of how fast you improve, right? Yeah. Because something that people also forget, let's say you improve by 10 points uh, per month, right? On the ladder. And if you played enough, in theory, you will hit GM. But what people forget is, so are also tens of thousands of players playing, so the average skill is getting increased. So are you actually improving? In, in the grand scheme of things, right? Because the other players are improving as well. And if you're not improving as fast as the league you're currently in, you are not improving. You're just maintaining the, the status. So that's why I think that um, players that have uh, a way to learn faster or have, you know, um, kind of like rules, like I, I was talking about RTS. Like when I started on RTS, I'm like, okay, how does the economy work? You know, um, Am I going to get supply blocked at this? I, I instantly do these things that some people kind of uh, do it naturally. They kind of play and see, but I, I go into it straight away. Um, and this also works if you look at early StarCraft 1 or StarCraft 2, sorry, on the release. The best players are actually, uh, initially, are not the players that are here now. Fruit Dealer was, you know, he won a GSL. Yeah, Fruit and Vendor. Then, yeah, and then and then he got trashed the next seasons. Why? Because he didn't improve as fast as everyone else. That's what he got left behind. You know, maybe initially he he figured out some things, right? Some strategies. They worked. And then everyone was like, "Oh yeah, that's how I killed that." And he's like, "Uh, guys, I'm uh, I'm, I'm behind here." So it's the same thing with MVP. I I think that the reason why he was the best player in Rings of Liberty is because he advanced so fast. Every time people played him, they played they they tried to play the old version of himself, but he was already you know in the next season playing. Mm. Um, same thing with Koreans, right? Why did they dominate early StarCraft two? Because they had coaches that focused them on things that matter. While you know Joe playing in his mom's basement was playing 2v2s. The difference <laughs> there is huge. And Joe mm-hmm. might be playing for 10 hours a day, but that those 10 hours are worth like 20 minutes of what the Koreans were doing. So, right. um, and it's the same reason, again, why we see Koreans closer to foreigners now, because the time investment and the quality investment is the same. People mm-hmm. always assume like Korean players are just better. Based on what? There's nothing in their genes that makes them better at, at video games. It, right. It's just their surrounding and how everything was set up. And now when that's equalized, that's why you see Cyril and, and Rainer doing well. 
They're putting the mm. same amount of hours. They're actually practicing. They know what to focus on. And that thing kind of became much closer than it is. So, um, yeah, like I said, the, the one thing that people never consider is while you're improving, the other players are as well. Um, mm. I've had someone tell me once that, you know, I've been playing um, Starker for the past two years. I haven't improved at all. Uh, you know, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, okay, how long do you play? He's like, well, I try to play five games a day. And I'm like, well, that's great. But there's thousand others in your league that play 10 games a day. And if you're learning at the same rate, you're never going to catch up. You're just always going to be behind, right? If you're very good at learning, you can because you're more receptive to learning new things and, and trying stuff. But this is a thing that people uh, never consider. It's the same thing when, you know, someone says, I was diamond a year ago and I'm diamond now. But you would be higher league if you were this player a year ago because mm -hmm. everyone was worse together mm -hmm. with you. So, you know, there, there's a lot of that. And I think it's a, I think it's a quite an interesting topic because, like you said, you can't measure the capacity of how fast someone is learning something. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to pinpoint, like, the breakpoints and, and why exactly that is. Right. But I do think it has to do uh, quite a lot with that. Um, it, there is talent, yes. Uh, there is amount of hours invested, but uh, you know, learning is is a big thing. And uh, even if you look at uh, Alpha Star, um, you know, it didn't learn how to play StarCraft in five games. It took it like hundreds of thousands, millions of games to improve. Why? Mm. Because it learned based on experiences and it gathered more and more information. And when it became to the same level as pro players or maybe even higher mechanically, it reached that level because it actually literally played more games and it had right. more time to learn. You know, people forget that. They're like, oh, Alpha Star is a month old, but they don't know they ran hundreds of agents playing millions of games each day against one another. So. Right. So it's an interesting topic for sure, though. Yeah, no, no I, I love it. I could I could dive into Alpha Star Combat. That's a whole another podcast episode <laughs> all on its own. Yeah. Um. But so whether it be from your your you know early history, your content creation, or the the gains that you've gotten speed of learning, uh, what do you think? What do you feel when you hear the phrase "Why does gaming matter to you"? What are your thoughts? I mean, gaming matters to me because, uh, I mean, it's it's literally who I am at this point. It's I cannot live without gaming. You know, I back when I when I started dating my girlfriend, uh, she she used to game. She games now again, but she, there was a break in between. She didn't she, she didn't play, and uh, you know, she asked me about gaming, what my past is, and. And I told her, uh, we had this conversation. I always tell this story in my stream. I tell her, look, I love you. But if you ever ask me to stop gaming, I, I can't be that person. It's not that gaming is more important than you in the terms of you know, quality. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just who I am. I don't know who I am without gaming because I grew up with it. I created friendships with it. My friends are gamers. Uh, my job is gaming. So... Literally everything I have is because of gaming. And if I didn't have it, I would be a completely different person that I probably don't want to know. So, um, 
yeah, just to, just to, you know, everything I got to experience from traveling to, I mean, I traveled the whole world because of StarCraft II. Uh, met my girlfriend through uh, one of the travels. Uh, not because of StarCraft, but, you know. Um, so I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change it for anything. Well, that's that's very beautifully said and, and honestly it hits exactly with why that is the you know the tagline or whatever of our podcast is because despite gaming being super prevalent and being around for a long time now there still is this at least some segment of the society that looks at gaming like it's a toy or like it's like a a thing that's just as mindless as watching a television show right and um it's just not. <laughs> it's way more significant than that. And to you know, to what you just said, I mean, it can can literally shape a life and and create create a life. Um, and I just yeah, I think that's super awesome. Uh, well, Beastie, we have had an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. We really appreciate your time. Um, obviously, you've got Twitch, you've got Twitter, you've got YouTube. We'll have links for all those in the show notes so people can click directly on it. Anywhere else people should check out or anything else you'd like to, to add before we wrap up? Um, no, that's pretty much it. You know, I, uh, I stream pretty much every day. Been, uh, you know, getting into some other games. Um, usually stream StarCraft. On YouTube, I upload daily videos. But uh, no, that's pretty much it. If you're interested, just search B-Security, whatever you want, and I'm pretty sure you'll find it. Uh, but thank you guys so much for having me. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of a lot of good questions, a lot of good discussions. So uh, I'm glad uh, I was here. Yeah, thank Bye. you so much. So that's all for the episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com/puispod, or just tell a friend about us because word of mouth really does make a difference. All of the links and our social accounts are available in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from either of us on topics outside of gaming, Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests. And my podcast, Dungeons and Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. Mm-hmm.